Good morning. Great to uh, see you today. Go ahead and take your Bibles out, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we are in week 2 of our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is on the cure for conflict. And so in this sermon, Jesus uh, teaches that there's a big difference between being religious and being spiritual. Jesus lets us know straight up that being religious is not good enough. He he makes this statement in chapter 5 in verses 17 through 20 that that had to have thrown his followers for a loop. Right? He, He says this. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus here begins a long discussion on the law, and he wants to make it very clear that he does not oppose the law of Moses. In fact, he will free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes are wrongly interpreting the law. And so Jesus wants to make it clear that he has authority apart from the law of Moses, not to contradict it. Jesus added nothing to the law except for one thing that no man could ever add to the law, and that is perfect obedience. It's one way Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so the Pharisees and the scribes were were the most religious people in Judaism. And they were considered to be the most righteous people on the earth. And they reached this level of holiness that not a lot of people could reach. Because of that, they thought that they were elite. And yet Jesus says to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That this idea, this concept must have sounded impossible to his followers. I mean, how in the world are we going to be more righteous than than the Pharisees or the scribes? It would be like for us or for me, I'm thinking about this, like like, that's like you're going to have to throw more touchdown passes than Russell Wilson did this year. 34, by the way. First in the NFL, just saying. Or you're going to have to make more money than than Bill Gates. Or else you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And for me, for us, that seems impossible, doesn't it? And just as surpassing the righteousness of a Pharisee seemed impossible 
to the followers of Jesus, but still Jesus told his disciples, not only was it possible, it is required to enter God's kingdom. And so after he makes this statement, he explains what he meant by contrasting religious behavior with true spirituality. And he shows how it applies to the way we treat others, the the way we deal with our emotions, our thoughts, our money, our prayer life, our marriage, and so on. And the bottom line is the primary difference between religion and spirituality is that religious people tend to focus on outward behavior and spiritual people focus on the attitudes of the heart. And what Jesus is driving at is that religious people are willing to settle for the externals. And he's like, that's just flat out not good enough. If we want to be in right relationship with God, you have to go beyond the externals and deal with what? The matters of the heart. And after Jesus said, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisee, as the old joke goes, he kind of goes from preaching to meddling, doesn't he? Jesus goes on to say, now let me tell you how this applies to your temper, how this applies to the way we should treat others. And he told them that the religious law that everyone knew by heart, by the way, and and then he followed it with this spiritual application. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He says, you've heard it said. Right? So the people haven't really studied the law of Moses for themselves, right? All they had was the teaching on the law from the scribes and the Pharisees. And in this particular manner, the people had heard the scribes and the Pharisees teach what? You shall not murder. That's the law that religious people kept i mean how many times have we heard people say and i've heard it a lot i'm not a bad person right like i didn't kill anybody or anything but jesus says i say to you jesus shows his authority and he does not rely on the words of the scribes or the teachers he teaches them the true understanding of the law of moses And then he begins to talk application in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The word insults here is the Greek word raka. And really there's not a great English word. Uh, that's equivalent because it describes an attitude or or a tone of of voice. Raka was a term of of arrogant contempt. It's like saying, you're an idiot, or or, you're an empty-headed fool, or or something along those lines. And Jesus says, anyone who calls someone Raka should go on trial before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme Court. And he wasn't referring to 
an, an actual law in the books, right? But rather making the point that if we speak to someone with disdain, if you call them a fool that you are what? You're committing a sin. And he said, if that's the case, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. The Greek word for fool is moros. It's the English word that we get moron. Right? In those days, moros wasn't used to describe somebody's mental abilities, but rather it was used to describe a person's moral character. So if you called someone moros, you're calling them a stupid liar or a stupid cheater. It was an insult of somebody's uh, uh, morals. And if the law is simply do not murder, well, for most of us, that's easy to keep. You could hate somebody with every fiber of your being. If you don't kill them, then, then obviously you're all good, right? That's what they taught. You're, you're considered righteous. You, you can look at them with disgust. You can call them every name in the book. But if you don't kill them, <coughs> you still get an A in religion. <coughs> Excuse me. Get water. <coughs> but guess what? If you do that, you fail spirituality 101. Can't be in a relationship with God if there's people that you hate. First John four twenty. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, and cannot love God whom he has not seen. Thanks. You know, a lot of times it's easier for someone to proclaim their love for God because. That regards a private relationship with an invisible God. But John rightly insists that our claim of loving God is false if we do not also love our brother. And that love needs to be seen. You can know the word. You can never miss a service. You can pray all the time. You can demonstrate the gifts of the Spirit. Yet in all of that, you could be like Cain offering to God the fruit of their hands and not the fruit of what's in their heart. There's a difference between the love of man and divine love. And these verses are equivalent of saying that a person cannot practice agape love. Unless we first practice philos love. That's why people have conflict in their lives. Their contempt for others inevitably causes them to treat others in, in such a way that promotes conflict. Well, we looked at this verse last week, but Proverbs 23. It, it is an honor for men to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. In, in our passage today and the rest of the verses... Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus shows us that if we take the spiritual high road in our relationships with others, we can avoid or effectively resolve the majority of conflict in our lives. Here's how we can approach approach it. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me. How to resolve conflict in our lives. Number one, realize that contempt is a sin. Right? First part of verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
And we know from other scriptures from Jesus' own life that, that he didn't prohibit all anger, right? This is not about righteous anger that motivates us to deal with a problem and resolve it. Like when Jesus drove out the money changers out of the temple in Matthew 21. This is about the simmering kind of grudge holding anger that we refuse to let go of. And I know I've known a lot of people, and quite frankly, this is one that I personally probably struggle with. I have thoughts and struggles with people because I have a hard time letting go of stuff. Right? I need to adopt the frozen mentality. Just let it go. Read this story this last week about a guy that told his wife he was going to be home for dinner at 6. On the way home, he got a phone call from his friend, needed help working on his car. So he went over to his friend's house, forgot to call his wife, tell her that he was going to be late. He got home at like 9 o'clock. She was like furious. She had made his favorite dessert sweet rolls, and he didn't have the courtesy to call her when he wasn't going to be home on time. She vowed that she would never make him sweet rolls uh, ever again. It's been 40 years. (laughs) She has not baked sweet rolls for this guy. Right? I mean, that's the kind of festering, grudge-holding anger that Jesus is talking about here. Right, he says, plain and simple, it's a sin. You are risking God's judgment. Contempt is a sin. You you can't call someone raka. You can't call someone a fool. Both terms reveal a, a, a contempt in our hearts. But both terms also reveal arrogance. It, it's an I'm better than you kind of attitude. Last. Week We looked at the Beatitudes and we learned that if we want to be blessed, we must acknowledge our unworthiness, right? It means saying, God, I am nothing without you. And most of us here, I know you probably would never use the word hate when referring to somebody. You wouldn't say, I hate whoever, right? We know that that is not right, that that's a sin. Likewise, looking down on someone, despising another person, holding a grudge, thinking that you're better than someone is just as sinful as hatred. You need to know, and maybe I hang out with a rough crowd, mostly church people, (laughs) but, but criticisms of other people breaks God's heart. It really does. When he hears people say things like, you know, he talks too much or she laughs too loud or his kid's a brat or whatever that might be, it breaks the heart of God. Now, I realize time to time you're going to come across people that that just kind of like rub you the wrong way and you don't click with. I I get that. It's going to happen. But when that happens, would you consider to ask God to deal with your heart and change the way you feel uh, about this person? And then could you just treat them with courtesy? Courtesy that any child of God would deserve. Remember, Jesus loves that person enough 
that he went to the cross to die for them. Which makes them worthy of my respect. So some people say, well, you know what? I'm not going to be a hypocrite, so I'm going to tell someone if I don't like them. That that's the kind of attitude that reveals the kind of arrogance that I'm talking about. Do you really think that your opinion is so important about somebody that you have to tell everybody? Treating them with, with some courtesy and respect is not hypocritical, it's holy. So the first step to curing conflict is to replace an attitude of contempt with an attitude of respect. The, the second way that we see to resolve conflict is to realize that reconciliation is our responsibility. Verses 23 and 24. So if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer uh, your gift. What Jesus is driving at here is that religious rituals won't get you anywhere if your heart isn't right with other people. Right? So you can do all the church stuff. You can come to, you can teach Sunday, you can be a life group leader, all that stuff. It doesn't impress God if we intentionally leave conflicts with others unresolved. Jesus considers it far more important to be reconciled to a brother than to perform a religious duty. Jesus says we must first be reconciled to your brother. We can't think that our service towards the Lord justifies bad relationships. Jesus does make an important distinction here in these verses. Did you notice what he said? He said, if your brother has something against you. Not if you have something against your brother. Did you catch that? Because if you have something against your brother or or your sister in Christ, you just need to, here's my new word, you just need to frozen it, right? You just need to let it go. Now, Now, if it's something that they've done that is a serious sin that has caused you harm, to, to you or, or anybody else for that matter, then Matthew 18 tells us how to deal with that. But that's not the kind of offense that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the petty stuff that, that, that you and I can overlook. And then we also know that if we've offended somebody, it's our responsibility to do what we can to make it right. So sometimes we need to go to that person. We need to say, right, you know, sorry, I, I was wrong. It's our responsibility to make an effort to reconcile. There's a third way to resolve conflict. Number three is to realize that being reconciled is better than being right. Because most of us think that we're right when it comes to conflict, don't we? I mean, admitting that we're wrong isn't easy. It's not fun. But Jesus told his followers, verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going Uh, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. So, interesting verse. On May 18, the year 2000 uh, edition of the USA Today, there was an article about some investors who decided to hold their brokers responsible for the losses that they took in the stock market. So so this guy filed a claim for $150,000 against Dean Winter saying that the broker invested the money irresponsibly and caused him 
to lose more than half of his life savings. The case was decided by an arbitration panel in which each party was convinced that they were right. I didn't read the rest of the article to find out how the panel voted, but whatever decision they made, one party lost pretty big. Each party would have been better off coming to an agreement before going to court. So when you're in a conflict with someone, regardless of how right we think we are, remember being reconciled is better than being right. So if you just want to be religious, then all you have to do in the context of this passage is to keep the commandment, do not kill. But if we want to be spiritual, we should apply the commandment to our hearts. Do not kill, do not have contempt for anyone, do not look down on anyone, make every effort to be right. With, with everybody. We can eliminate a great deal of conflict in, in our lives just by letting go, refusing to retaliate, and seeking to be reconciled. Paul said this in Romans 12, 17, and 18. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, that's a sign of spirituality. When we apply that principle, not only will it, with our relationship with God will become stronger, but our relationship with others will become stronger as well. And many of our conflicts will simply just disappear. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for uh, your word this morning. Lord, I ask that as we go throughout our week this this week, God, that we would be able to apply Matthew 5. God, I pray that as we seek to live at peace, that you would give us the ability to do what is right in your sight. God, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. Thank you for taking our sin upon you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.